The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. I mean, we're trying to make no statements to the league. I mean, who cares what they think? I mean, we uh, we know what we bring to the table, and it's all about us. Uh, but I'm sure people are watching the game tonight. We're not far at all. We're like, we... We're, we're, you know, all killers. We attack and we're, but we're all unselfish. I mean, we like to just make the, the right play. And uh, so it won't take long at all. We just got to be out there on the court and, and, you know, be out there doing it. Oh, yeah. So much for oh, the Eastern boy. Conference showdown in Chicago Ooh. last night. Ooh. The Nets beat the brakes. They curb stomp. They molly wop. They took them to the behind the shed. They, they put them over their knee. Whatever you want to say. The Nets destroyed Three Chicago. Bike rack after right, school. Right. Come on out. You going to talk that talk. Crying. Come on out. Be ready. Beat them down. Don't bring your, as my boy Bomani yeah, would say last night. They led by as many as what? 38 points at one point in the game. And Kevin Durant makes a great point. Kevin Durant is absolutely right. That wasn't a statement game. If that was a statement game, here's what it said. Water is wet. Sky is blue. Uh Oh, Oh, wait a minute. Wait, wait, is wait, a wait, pigs. Wait, wait. You know what pork does yep. a bear crap in the woods and wipe himself with a white rabbit. Whatever you want to say. That's what statement it was because it can't be a statement. If you're telling us something that most of us already knew. Which is when the big three are together, cancel Christmas. And it's hard to, as long as they've been on the same team, it's it's hard to remember that they've only played together 16 times. And last night makes it 13 and three. So that was not a statement game last night because it ain't saying nothing. What you got to say, Mr. Nets hater, what you got to say. Insert insert excuses right about here. As a matter of fact, the only thing you're missing, that was a great start, Mike. The only thing you're missing is a blue book. I'm going to give you a blue book. It's empty. Go ahead and write your excuses down. I'm going to give you about 35 minutes. Come on up with your excuses because that's what you started to do right there. Hey, the rest of us know when healthy and when healthy when they're together. If they're all together, you took that the wrong way. No, no, no. You took that the wrong way. That wasn't a built in excuse because in another reason. Thank you. Another reason why it wasn't a statement. Not only would it be stating the obvious to say that the Nets are really damn good when all three of their stars play together. Yes, but nobody cares about statements for this team right now because you're not going to want to hear about a statement win in January. Come playoff right. time That's if right. they come up Tell short. So I'm not even That's trying right. to make a statement right now because they're too old for yeah. statements. They got champions and MVPs on their team. They've outgrown statements. The only statement that matters for the Brooklyn Nets is what they say when it matters come playoff time. You were saying. Uh, this is what I'm saying. Okay, I was saying something else, but I'm going to tell you the truth. I'm going to be honest with you. Uh, this is where they're frightening. This is scary. When they When they play like this, when they're all together, this is what I... The, 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 you, you hate on somebody for a couple of reasons. It, it, sometimes it's you, you want what they have. 
uh, also known as jealousy, or you're hating on them because you see the potential in them. I'm helping somebody today. You see the potential in them that sometimes they don't even see in themselves. They don't see in themselves, you know? So, um, yeah, man. Um, Maybe I'm a little jealous. <laughs> that, that, look, look that's, that's the headline. Yeah, man. That's all you can say. That's all you can say at the left. That's right. Like, yeah, There's nothing man. to say. There's nothing to say. I mean, they when when those guys get going, because what you what you hope for, if you don't like the alignment, what you hope for is they don't figure it out. Mm-hmm. Like you have the answers, and somebody else has the answers. You just don't want to tell them. Oh, don't say nothing. Don't say nothing. If they just do this. They'll be fine, but they figured that out last year. Health was a factor. I know I always tease you about the excuses and Kevin Durant's shoe size and and James Harden on one leg and no Kyrie after you know in the middle of Game Three, whatever it is. But they figured that out before the playoffs last year. It was Harden and, and Kyrie. Harden said, "Okay, you play off the ball. I'll be the point guard, and we'll do our thing." And when they were together, it was very few games. What was it? Eight games last year? Eight games? Yeah, all three of them on the court at the same in the, time in the regular season. Yeah, not, not, not yeah. many. And so not many. Uh, they had a great start to the postseason. Then they did have injuries that derailed them this year. We know what happened with Kyrie Irving. And so now when they're all back, if they can figure this out, but they always have something. That's the only thing I'll say that the statement is right. It's not a statement when their talent, every, every each one of them talent speaks for itself. But the one thing that it's almost like they brought on an obstacle. There's always going to be an obstacle in front of them. That can be very frustrating for a great team. So last year, the obstacle was injuries. This year, the obstacle might be, might be, I know you got thoughts on this. It yeah. might be the vaccine to vac- to vaccinate or not. That is the question. And so this has been a Shakespearean tale in some ways uh, for the Brooklyn Nets just when they have all these guys built, they're ready to go. Everybody's healthy and ready to go. And now there's a mandate. It just happens to be a mandate in New York. If they were in Massachusetts, if they were in Texas, uh, if, if they were anywhere else, if they were in Chicago, if they were in Illinois, this wouldn't be an issue. Yeah. They just happen to be in New York and there happens to be a mandate there. Well, I, I do have thoughts on that. We, we, gonna, we can focus exclusively on that topic momentarily. I do want to just say on last night's performance that while it wasn't a statement game again, because it, it didn't tell us anything we didn't know about their potential. Number one, number two, it should not have reminded anybody what they're capable of because why would anybody forget? Um, but it was nonetheless significant because as we talked about yesterday, they had been 0 and 8 against top four teams in each conference. So that was the first right. top tier team top tier win. It'd been 0-2 against the Bulls before last night. So it wasn't a win without significance. It did matter to a certain extent, but I don't think they needed to, to, to be reminded nor did the rest nor should the rest of us have to be reminded that at their best they can beat anybody. I don't I don't think that was any kind of breaking earth shattering news last night. But let's get to the let's get to the, the topic that matters ultimately because you, you, you laid it out perfectly. You gave us a, a very uh, succinct history lesson of this uh, this Knicks team, this Knicks uh, you know super team. Oh, Nick Nets, Nets, excuse me, Nets super team. Nick, sorry, wish. New York. The Knicks wish. Sorry, 
Yeah, we'll get we'll talk about the Knicks later and I got Knicks on the brain. They making moves out here. We'll talk about the Knicks later. This net yeah. super team. So they weren't together for a variety of reasons last year. Since we already know what they can do when they're together. The question is, will they be together this year for the reason you just alluded to, which is Kyrie Irving's status as unvaccinated. So they go to Oklahoma City. Uh, they're at home against Oklahoma City tonight, which means no Kyrie Irving. I believe on Saturday, there we go. They have the Pelicans at home, which also means no Kyrie Irving. Then they got a game they in a the Ky- road game. They should have a Kyrie schedule. They should have a Kyrie yeah, right? schedule. Well, yeah, Brooklyn Nets like, slash Kyrie profile. upcoming schedule. Yeah, this is the remainder of, of their schedule. He's there. Yeah, just where, where find Kyrie. That's when that's well, anywhere you see playing. anywhere you see at that means Kyrie. Okay, so yeah. they have a gang of road games coming up between now and the all-star break. This is a schedule uh, for the rest of the first half of the season. So the all-star break that is um, and so that's when we'll see a lot of Kyrie Irving and this version of the Nets gets the most opportunity to gel. But alas, uh, there is conversation about whether or not the situation could resolve itself uh, in a in an unforeseen way. But first, Kyrie and James Harden on Kyrie's part-time status. This is those two guys last night. I, I tried not to get too emotionally attached to it uh, because when I did, then it just felt like I had FOMO. You know, just that feeling of missing out every single day. It was like, man, I just want to be with the guys. I just want to be with the guys. I just want to be with the guys. So... Once I got over that and then um, we were able to communicate still, obviously, with just being close to some of the guys on the team, I just felt like we just got closer because now we're dealing with it together. In some kind of fashion, we'll see Kai playing. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to give him a shot if I got to. <laughs> <laughs> James is joking, but there's a shot for Kyrie to play home games in New York um, without getting the vaccine himself or without New York, which nobody expects lifting its mandate uh, that so far prohibited him uh, from playing in home games. And that's because as uh, the New York Daily News wrote about yesterday, Woj talked about last night, the fine schedule associated with violating this mandate, this executive order is in no way prohibitive to a billionaire like Joe Sy, because the fine for multiple offenses tops out at $5,000 per. So the question is really one yeah. of optics, not of expenses. Okay, it's really about optics. Yeah. What would it look like in our, and I'll let <laughs> Joe Sy be killing it with these. Can't even focus looking at this dude. <laughs> Joe Sy. <laughs> What would it look like for the Nets to pay Kyrie's fines in order for him to play and in the process violate the New York mandate? Would you have a problem with this? Because I would not. Yeah, I'm sure plenty of people would, would, but I would have zero problem. With it. Would. Why would you have a problem with it? I would because I, I think it sends uh, I think it sends a bad message. I think it sends a bad message. And what is, to- and what is that message? The message is it doesn't matter. Okay, we're, we're not going to abide by the rules. It's just we're not going to we're going to we're not going to abide by the mandates put forth. And if you don't have a problem with this, let me just point out. Now, I know we've gone. We've, we've kind of we had the vaccinated versus unvaccinated conversation. We've had it in many iterations. 
Let me say it this way in a very nice professorial way. Okay. If you don't have a problem with the Brooklyn Nets doing this with Kyrie Irving to get what he wants, then you also shouldn't have a problem with the people who walk by who walk in the stores and say, no, I'm not wearing a mask. I know the sign on the source uh, sign on the door says no mask, no entry, but I don't believe it's right. Oh, you want to find me? Go ahead and find me. You want to kick me out? Kick me out. I don't want to do it. Now I've uh, let me call you out because I've heard you say and I've agreed with you that mm-hmm. people who do that they're talking about their personal freedoms and their personal liberties have ignored everybody else's personal freedoms and liberties that they, they, they have prioritized themselves over the crowd. Why is this different? This is no different. All it is is big bank. Take little bank. You got the money to do it. Mm-hmm. So you do it. It's the same thing. Mm-hmm. It just happens right. to be entertainment. But if you don't right. have a problem with Kyrie Irving, then you don't have a problem with those people who are yelling at no, you saying, oh, oh no, no, well, same thing. It's the same thing. Not What's in my mind. I mean, could What's I tell you why? Tell me, could I tell you why yeah, the apparent me. contradiction? It may seem like a contradiction. You, like, you, want, to see the, to you. you want to see the Brooklyn Nets win a championship. That's why. No, What's the difference? no, no, no. Honestly, it's not that it's it's I'm looking at it through the lens of business. You said big bang, take little bang. The business of winning that the Brooklyn Nets, uh, you know, are supposed to be about. I'll take your your uh, comparison to just somebody walking into a store where you're supposed to wear a mask and I'm and I'm wearing a mask and I'm vaccinated. They're deciding nope, you know, I'm not wearing a mask. Okay, there are procedures in place. The owner of that store or that property, they can ask that person to leave, call security, have them removed, refuse them service, whatever it is. Okay, so let's rewind. When Kyrie Irving, when when the Nets first said, hey, we're not going to have a part-time player, and we know New York was not about to let Kyrie Irving uh, be exempt from the mandate. Everybody said, hey, rules are rules. You don't like the rules, get the shot. Get the shot! Right. <laughs> Pulp Fiction, get yeah. the shot! <laughs> okay, like, you know, that was, that was, everybody said it. Get the shot. And I think Kyrie Irving should get the shot. But with that ship has sailed. Again, I know you think he should get the shot. I think he should get the shot. Not only should everybody get the shots, they should get boosted several times if you can. When's my next booster shot? Okay, we are pro. We are a pro vaccine show. Everybody that watches this show knows that. Having said all that, Kyrie Irving doesn't seem inclined anytime soon to get the vaccine. So let's okay. Going back to rules are rules. So hey, right. Kyrie, rules are the rules, man. It's a man. Okay, those same rules have consequences and repercussions in place. And those consequences and repercussions, if you want to be upset because Big Bank could take Little Bank and Joe Side could look at his couch and find five thousand dollars a pop, be mad that those costs aren't more prohibitive for violating that vaccine mandate. So the rules in place say if you are vaccinated, you can't enter certain buildings in, in New York. Okay. If I break that rule, then what? $5,000 is the motion get fined. Okay, they didn't make that rule. Likewise, if I speed, yeah. there's a fine system yeah, according with, with the court in accordance with speeding. So if I decide to speed and I get caught, I can decide whether it was worth it to pay that fine, to get that ticket, to have my insurance get hyped up based on how late I left my house in order to get to where I want to go. So bottom line, if you, I, I get what you're talking about when it comes to the principle of making exceptions, but they're paying the cost, they're paying the fine, they're paying the penalty <laughs> associated. On, the 
which all I was going to say, pay the cost. Yeah, I mean, you're right. They would be. No, 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 they, no, no. They, would, they, they would be paying the I'm laughing the at it because because oh, okay. of the amount. That, that's why I'm laughing. Yes, wait, wait, like, but that's what I'm saying. But just but but be upset at the amount. And and furthermore, and this is the last thing I'll say before I kick it back to you, boss. Furthermore, this is a situation that is unique to New York, and for that matter, unique to the Bay Area, or or or, or you know, or unique to Toronto. Okay. Last night, unvaccinated Kyrie Irving was playing in Chicago. You've already you've already said this. It'd be different if he was in Boston. Not to mention, New York makes it so that even the, because Kyrie Irving is based in New Jersey or that's his place of employment, that unlike other players coming from other cities, he's not exempt. You understand what I'm saying? So there's so many right. contradictions already written into this mandate, not to mention the optics of a bunch of screaming fans standing there maskless, transmitting the virus for all we know, sure, in this Omicron sure. surge, in the stands. So what are we really talking about at this point? Well, well, what we're talking about is a, a team... $68,000? Thanks for doing the math, Jay. $68,000? Yes. Please. I mean, that's blame the fines. Blame those same rules that we all told Kyrie Irving that he had to abide by until the Nets yeah, already see, compromised. They already compromised. Why not go all the way with it? See, it just tells it just tells me about what, what people value, though. It just tells me it tells me about what you value. If you're the Brooklyn Nets, do you value what the city is, what the state is trying to do, or do you say? How do I pay my way out of it? This is this is just like everybody else at the beginning. Remember at the beginning of the pandemic when people were calling their doctor saying, hey, when that thing comes out, when that when that vaccine comes out for those who want to be vaccinated, you go hook a brother up, right? You can hook a sister up because they could. So it really wasn't about doing what was best. Remember, there were people who were going. The elderly were supposed to be first and they were right. gaming the system. So they would take an right. elderly person to, to get their vaccine so they could get that shot, too. Right. What do you value? Do you value what's best for the collective or do you say I'm going to do what I can because I have the money to take care of it? See, so I, I understand what you're saying. I understand what Jay Williams is saying. To me, it's bigger. It's not about the money. I don't know what the fine was. It doesn't matter. Do the Brooklyn Nets value what New York? Do they, do they agree with it or disagree? Take a stand. Joe. And if you play for, for, for the record, and his you, you know, he's been pro vaccine. He's been pro vaccine. Okay. Joe Sai. If yeah. you're pro vaccine, if you're pro vaccine mm -hmm. and you believe in it for your organization, you'll abide by what the state has has presented. And if you don't, if you let Kyrie play, don't say you can't play both sides of it. You can't say, well, I believe in what the state. But they've already to do, done that. But but they've already done that, haven't they? Well, like they've already no, tried that in both they, ways by having him play on the road. They let him play on the road. Because that's not in violation of what the state has put in place. No, it's but not. You, but initially, but they took a openly, stand and said, we're not letting you yeah. be a part-time player. And he was like, right. okay, and well, I changed. guess I'll just sit. And they, so I'm saying they it. already acquiesced once, acquiesced twice. This ain't about principle because, okay, you mean to tell me the collective good rest? It's about principle. You mean to tell it me absolutely that the, is about principle. Okay, well, let me ask you this question. You mean to tell me that the collective good rests on whether or not Kyrie Irving is vaccinated? You think there are people at no, home watching that, Nets games no, basing their determination no, no, about whether to get vaccinated no, at this point no. on Kyrie Irving? So what are we talking no, about? But I can, let's, let's, okay, okay. I could, I could take that any law in the country, I could take that approach and break every mm -hmm. law that I wanted to. You mean to tell me if I run this red light? 
society is going to be like if I run this red light you mean to tell me if I smack this dude right now for being an a-hole that the whole the whole uh, civilization well, will collapse I could I well, could Michael. do that on well, every single alley <laughs> well Michael as a, as a great Martin Luther King once said it's uh, it's our responsibility to to break laws that don't make sense because <laughs> 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 right about now I kind of feel like Aaron Rodgers I ain't gonna lie I kind of I kind of feel like I'm yeah. Aaron Rodgers in this conversation with you <laughs> yeah 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 so go ahead you know don't don't worry about you know being a business a, a viable business one of the most important businesses in Brooklyn entertainment wise. Uh, and in being in an entertainment center in Brooklyn that is open constantly to thousands of people every other night, roughly every other night of the week, or you know, two or three nights, uh, two or three nights a week. And you're you're supposed to be a good tenant, a good neighbor. Let's call it. A good, you're not a good tenant. You're a good neighbor. But you decide, no, I don't want to be a good neighbor. But because no, I want to win a championship, I want to win a big, I want to win a championship more than I want to be a good neighbor. How many so, of those people coming in every night are, are, are potentially carrying COVID-19? Carrying the Omicron uh, variant? Right. Variant. Potentially. Who yeah, knows? Right. Potentially, right. But, but I mean, right. but, but it, now I really do sound like Aaron Rodgers. You know, vaccinated people can get it too. You know, <laughs> I mean, right. and I don't mean, and Michael, it's, we know what side, you know what side I'm on on this issue in reality. I'm strictly saying for sure. the Brooklyn Nets. No, now please. I'm I, well, sure. I'm, well, I'm sorry. Well, I hope you be. I, I hope you joke. I, I, I don't know. want to be misunderstood. I, I'm just mess, okay, I'm just, good. I'm messing with you. I don't want to be misunderstood. All right. I don't want to be misunderstood because I am because all that stuff is silly. But in this instance, I'm simply saying that everywhere this is a unique situation to New York. If Kyrie Irving played in Chicago, New York has a mandate that has an opportunity to work around it. Like I feel like if you're the Brooklyn Nets and you're having these conversations as an organization, okay. you're like, wait, are we beholden yeah. to New York to be a good neighbor like Michael Holly okay. is talking about? Here's like it. State Farm wants here's, us here's to it. be and be a good neighbor yeah. and be there and help here's New York by, by, by holding out Kyrie Irving when other players who are unvaccinated but because they don't live here can play. That's true. Not that there are that many you unvaccinated players at this point, but you, said, you know, point well, being... It's not, a, it's not a perfect mandate. Allegedly. It's not a perfect mandate. All right. All right. You, you keep saying if, if I got that right, right? Isn't Chicago. that what it is? Like if, if you don't live in the New York area, you are exempt. He's not exempt because he lives in, in, in Jersey. Correct. I, I believe that's the I believe that's the mandate. Correct me if I'm wrong. I don't that, know. But go ahead. I, okay. But I don't know if you're wrong or not. We'll, 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 we'll fact check after this is over. But I'm, mm. I'm going to say this. You, you keep saying, you know, if if he lived in if he played in Illinois, if he played in Massachusetts, uh, if he played in Florida, this wouldn't be an issue. You're right, but he doesn't. He doesn't. Right. It's, it's, but he doesn't. So right. uh, it, it's 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 very simple. Do you want to abide by it or not? And there are people in New York who say, "No, I don't want to abide by it. I don't believe in it." And if you're the Brooklyn Nets, it's like, if you're Kyrie Irving and you say you don't want to abide by it, I understand that because you. That that's your that's your passion. That's what you want to do. You want to do what you want to do. But if you're the Brooklyn Nets and you allow him to do it, then what you're saying is you don't believe in it either. Which is a totally different conversation. Don't tell me Joe Sy that you believe in what they're doing, but then allow one of your employees to openly just say, uh, well, screw no. the mandate. I don't care. Not openly. They're care. paying the fine. Yeah, that's yeah, what the fine is. 
That's what the okay. fine is. That's all I'm saying. But okay, then the fine's yeah. a joke. It, the fine's a joke then. The fine's not a joke. The fine's not a joke. I, actually, the fine should be higher. is for should every, be prohibitive. No, it shouldn't. No, it shouldn't. The fine is, is is high enough. It's for everyday people. If you talk about what the average American makes, that's a very significant sure. fine. But once again, we're talking about the 1%, the 2%, somebody who can afford right. to just look at money and say, it ain't nothing to me. It ain't nothing right. to me. It's a good fine for working Americans. It's a joke of a fine to millionaires. Mm. And that's what's happening. A millionaire saying, that's not for me. I don't have to abide by the rules. And that's the message that the Brooklyn Nets will be sending if they allow this to happen. I know it's all speculative, but it's out there for a reason. Maybe somebody floated that to Bondi and said, hey, write this. And we'll, it'll be a little political balloon. And we'll see how uh, how the public feels about it and then act accordingly. Yeah. We're going to talk about optics in a moment. We got some breaking news into the show. Worse optics than this. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Yeah, we saw this coming. Yeah, that, we saw this is. coming. It's not yes, a shocker, not a surprise. Yeah. Not only did we see it coming a mile away uh, after the season ended and there was speculation that David Cully could be one and done in Houston. We saw it coming last year when they hired mm-hmm. David Cully. David Cully took the Houston job on the hot seat and today just minutes ago uh, it became official that David Cully had been fired by the Houston Texans after a four and 13 season. Um, reportedly, they guaranteed him only two years of money yep. and knew there was always the real chance that it would be one and done. This is Schefter. As one league source texted about the one year tenure, I knew it when <laughs> he was hired. We all did. Four, day- uh, Mike four days of evaluation. Says, Four days of evaluation and moving on after one season. Spare me. Um, Spare me that. Come on. I'm gonna. Can I just? Can you I just say it, Michael? I know, Michael. Yeah, I, I'm gonna yeah, just. Yeah, I'm gonna just. I'm gonna summarize yeah. in one statement. This is bullshit. This is straight yeah. up bullshit. And I, and I know I cuss too much for for your liking and other people's liking. But I have no other. I have no better way to describe it. I I, I have the. I have lots of words that I'm about to say, but the headline. This is bullshit. Yeah, it is. A pox on your house. Okay, let's just start with that. Okay. Um, to ownership, to management, or or let's let's go color purple. Till you do right, okay, you will never, ever succeed in the National Football League because this is the type of stuff that. It, it now it, it not only does it set your organization back, not only does it hurt your credibility, but as if Cal McNair at this point has much credibility. 
But more than anything, we talked. We, we spent the last segment of this show talking about the optics of a hypothetical uh, workaround by the Brooklyn Nets for 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 Kyrie Irving when it comes to yeah. um, the New York vaccine mandate. We're down to one black coach in the NFL. One. This week one. alone, we've seen and- David Curley yeah. get axed after one year. We've seen Brian Flores get axed after back-to-back winning seasons in 19 wins in the yeah. last two years. Yeah. So yeah. I was thinking about this, Michael, overall. because because Monday when we talked um, about Brian Flores' firing, predictably, there were some people who were like, man, why everything got to be about race? Why you got to, like, race ain't got nothing to do with it. Okay. Maybe yeah. maybe okay. the decision to fire Brian Flores on Monday and David Cully on Thursday, maybe it had more to do with or to do with more than race. Yeah. But sorry, not sorry. As in, I'm not apologizing. See, black folks, we tend to get protective when ain't but two of us and now one of us. <laughs> Right. Okay. Right. So it's a, it, it hits a little different when you got three black coaches to begin with, and two of them have been yeah. fired in a league that's seventy something percent black in terms of players, zero percent black in terms of ownership. Got a handful of black general managers. Yeah, it's a race issue. Everything's a race issue to some extent because we live in the United States of America. Right. But in the NFL. Right. You want to talk about piss poor optics. Don't tell me it takes all of us. I don't want to hear about y'all inspiring change because ain't nothing changing. The more things change, the more they stay the same quality. One year with that roster in that situation. Mike with a rookie quarterback and Terod Taylor hurt. Do I need to go down all the the reasons why David Cully or nobody else was never going to succeed? I'm I'm, go ahead, Michael. I'm sorry. I don't mean to ball. Go ahead, brother. No, 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 no. Nick and ball. I just wanted to. They played hard for that man. They played hard for that dude. I just want to tell you and remind you, Mike, to end racism. Uh, I think you should put it in your end zone. Thank you. Thank you. End racism. Let's end it. Let's end it. Let's start right here in the NFL. Let's show the rest of the world that we know exactly how to do it. Let's show the rest of the world. Let's be the model of how it's supposed to be done. We're going to be the model of inclusiveness. We're going to be the model of diversity. I got to tell you, you mentioned Cal McNair. I'm going to mention another name. It's, it's very, it's a little closer to home for me. Uh, for those of you know, uh, those of you who don't know, uh, I live in Boston. And so uh, I have a, a long history in this area. I have a long history with the New England Patriots. So um, I have interviewed, I've known uh, Nick Casario for a long time. I'm disappointed in Nick Casario. Nick Casario really disappoints me with his contribution to this decision. If it was not his decision 100%, still he contributed to it. If it was his decision, if he made the final decision, I'm disappointed in what he did. You cannot, you, you cannot have credibility by acting like this. And it will come back to it will come back to bite them. It will come back to bite them in some way. Even if they hire a coach who's better than David Cully, because I'm not saying David Cully uh, is, is the best coach in the NFL. Far from it. But any coach coming into this situation was operating at a deficit as soon as he signed that contract. 
You come in, Deshaun Watson, before you got there, Deshaun Watson is demanding to be traded. They don't trade De uh, Deshaun Watson because they don't want to give in to him. The people above your pay grade, they don't want to give in to Deshaun Watson. Instead, right. they keep right. him on the roster, and he's taking up a roster spot, even though you know he's not going to play, and he has no desire to play for you ever again. So that is hovering over the situation. You've already... Uh, you're already in a bad position. You're in a bad position cap-wise. You're in a bad position with your draft picks. So the best you can do at the quarterback spot is draft somebody out of Stanford named Davis Mills. There were five quarterbacks taken in the first round. Davis Mills was not one of them. Yet, David Culley and his staff were able to get the Pep, most out of him. And Pep Hamilton, yes. And, 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 and Pep Hamilton and Mills actually had a good rookie season. You won four mm -hmm. games. You were playing mm -hmm. hard all the way up into game 17 through game 17 because they lost their final game yeah. to the uh, Titans by three points and they beat the Titans. They beat the Titans right. earlier in the season. So that's, that's really all you can expect. I thought I thought the Texans would win about three or four. I thought they went about three or four games. They won about four games. They won four games. They were competitive. They I, were competitive. I, know, I know you watched that Patriots game start to finish. I mean, Adam down. Like, Adam, if, if, Adam if, down you, if you didn't points. watch any other game, I know you watched that one. Michael, yeah. this is okay. Like, all right, let's start with the incompetence part. Okay, because okay, Nick, Nick Casario, you on the clock. I don't give a damn what the contract says. You on the clock. Okay, because if you hire David Cully and then one year later, damn, this is Steve Wilkes all over again. This is, is one year later. Okay, you determine that Cully is not right for your organization to lead it forward. That's your fault. Okay, that's your fault for not being able to evaluate a coach. That's number one. Number two, how can you fairly evaluate him given the circumstance that he was coaching under? And how can you watch the way this team played and responded to him and determine that he is not worth at least another year with a fair opportunity to succeed? But then again, we talk about a black coach. So as we as we discuss ad nauseum on this here program, the goalposts always get moved for us. Whoever said black people got to be twice as good to get the same opportunities. That was an understatement. Who said twice? Twice is that that's too generous. It ain't twice. Okay, got to damn near reinvent the game to get the same benefit of the doubt that our white counterparts do right. when it comes to coaching. Got to invent. Okay, got to be. Got to invent teeth. <laughs> you know. Okay. No wait, wait. Tell a, we got to tell a whole joke. Tell a whole joke. Chris Rock say, you know who lives next to my to me? A dentist. A dentist. <laughs> I'd have to invent teeth. <laughs> okay. You know, but anyway, but that's look, perfect. But but so so it, so but what I'm getting at is this. They hired him and then determined after a year that he wasn't the right coach moving forward. So that's 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 incompetence from an organizational standpoint. But I, I need the Texans to prove me wrong on this. They hired David Cully, because you and I talk about this a lot, about the black whisperer, okay? About the black person whisperer. That white folks, white, white folks will put around black people. They hired David Cully to see if David Cully could him. convince Deshaun Watson to stay. That's why they hired him. You talked. They said, "Oh, okay, you're black. He's black. Y'all should be friends." Oh, David Cully could talk some sense to Deshaun Watson. That's why they hired him. And when that didn't work, he was on the clock. Prove me wrong. Tell me I'm show me. Tell me I'm lying. Tell me I'm lying that the Houston Texans did not hire David Cully with the sole purpose of hoping that he would relate to Deshaun Watson and get him to report when Deshaun Watson wouldn't so much as call him coach when Deshaun Watson told him I'm not coming back. 
than David Cully, there was no need for him anymore. And it was a matter of time. Four days of evaluations to determine that a guy went four and thirteen with that roster. With that meanwhile, roster. Bill O'Brien meanwhile, Bill O'Brien getting interviewed in Jacksonville today. Oh my God, the irony. Oh my God, the irony. Bill O'Brien's getting an interview in Jacksonville for their head coach coaching job today, while David Cully, who was stuck with his mess, is now fired after one year. Oh, oh, but oh, but it ain't a race thing. Stop making it about well, race listen, all the time. Race ain't got nothing to do with it. You can't listen to them. So you, you really, well, you can listen. No, I'm to not them. listening to them. No, you I'm not listening to them listen at all. Them, I never have. But you can't. In 20 years, you can't, I've you never can't. listened to them. No, and, and you but can't, can't reason with them. But it's, but it's not right. It's not serious. It's not serious. Uh, it's not serious analysis. It, no, it's, it, not. You're it's saying not. It's not. About it's, race. Not, it's not serious but, analysis. But they're. It's not. But they're quiet today because this is why every so often those same people who feel like race doesn't belong and they feel that way because they don't want to take the time to critically think and process another perspective. Okay. Days like today. This is why this is what we're talking about. This is what we're talking about. This right here. Rooney rule my ass. Take your Rooney rule listen. and shove it. But it's funny. Or is it is it a is it a coincidence? Is it telling? I, I'd say maybe it's telling. It's telling right here. There's we all know there's one black coach left in the NFL. As of, uh, of, of this date, whatever, what's this date? Today's date. As of January 13, 2022, there's one black coach in the NFL. And what's his profile? He's never had a losing season. He's been to two Super Bowls. He has won one Super Bowl. Okay, that's what, I mean, is that what you got to do? <laughs> practically, practically what, been like, <laughs> And I still, I still get into debates with people about Mike Tomlin. Sometimes I do it on purpose. I, I, I'm going to tell you one of my secrets. I do it on purpose. I say, yeah, you know, give me your, give me your five, uh, give me your top five coaches in the NFL. And if Mike Tomlin is not in the top five, I said, no, wh- wh- why isn't Mike Tomlin in the top five? Well, you know, well, no, I don't. Why, why isn't Mike Tomlin in the top five? Why you put Sean Payton in the top five and not Mike Tomlin? You know, and Sean Payton's had three losing seasons, uh, including like three out of four, seven and nines. Same reason they asked Mike days. Tomlin about a college oh, job and not oh, Sean Payton. Right, right. Right in the old days when there were 16 games. Why is John Harbaugh in your top five? Not Mike Tomlin when Tomlin has won the division more than Harbaugh has and, and made the playoffs more than Harbaugh has like, you know, and Harbaugh has had losing seasons. I'm just saying I'm not pitting them against each other. What I'm trying to do is point out even if you don't have a losing season, even if you get to Super Bowls, your teams are always competitive. You get the best out of the talent on your roster. You still have to prove something that is kind of undefinable. So uh, the NFL really has a problem and the league is going to have to admit it. The league is going to have to admit it and really do something substantive about it. Beyond I don't know the that there is a solution beyond the sloganeering that's on helmets, but, but seriously, that's in end zones I don't know that there is a solution shoes. because it's like the league has a problem. But these individual organizations clearly aren't thinking about the optics or, or what a bad look it is Man, for I'm the league. They're like, like I don't, I don't think Cal McNair know- and Nick Casario sitting up there being like, yeah, but you know what? If we fire him, the league gonna have one black coach left. I, I, we might have to take one for the team here. They're not thinking like that. So as long as the ownership group looks the same, save for Shah Khan, as long as it's the same good old boy, rich white Trump supporting network. 
as long as that's what it is, they gonna always look at us the same way, which is we're not we don't run in their same circles. We don't have their agents. We don't play golf with them. The relationships aren't there. The Rooney rule is designed to foster these relationships. Okay, there are coaching fellowships designed to foster these types of relationships between coaches and owners and, and general managers and, and college coaches and athletic directors in order to, to, to bridge that divide when it comes to relationships. Because really what it comes down to is if, if David Cully were a white coach, ain't no way he getting fired after one year under those circumstances. But we do not get benefits of doubt in life in general and in spe- and specifically in the NFL. And it's just the latest and greatest example of it. Last and, word, dude, we got, we they, got a company waiting for us. You get the last word. I was, I was going to say, and also, they also threw him out there, Mike, uh, in the beginning uh, of this whole Deshaun Watson drama. They threw him out there to kind of answer questions about a situation that was so much, so far beyond his creation, so, so far beyond uh, his history with the organization. It really was a... Everywhere you turn, if you're David Cully, everywhere you turn, there was a losing situation for you to run away from, but you couldn't because you are now the head coach or you are now the head coach of the Houston Texans. So you are now affiliated with problems that you didn't create. And that happened throughout the 2021 season. He did it with class. And at the end of the year, they said, thank you very much. Bye-bye. Some party hey, gifts. Is it too late to- some party gifts. Stage left. Speaking of parting gifts, is it too late for me to change my unofficial coach of the year vote? Give it to David Cully on the way out for having to manage that situation and that organization with the class you just described, Michael. It's ridiculous. Let me stop before I really start cussing. Oh, really start? You already did. That's all right. Don't apologize. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. So the Knicks coming off a big win against the Mavs last night in which R.J. Barrett continued his hot play. Uh, they get another dude, Blue Devil, uh, in New York. Um, today, traded with the Hawks to acquire 22-year-old Cam Reddish. Um, and that looks like a, a, a pretty significant acquisition for uh, the New York Knicks. So again, Michael, we talk so much about um, the number one pick uh, in that draft a couple of years ago, Zion Williamson talk a lot about John ja Morant. Number three pick is coming on strong. Uh, RJ Barrett is uh, for the New York Knicks, and now they get his old teammate uh, Cam Reddish from Atlanta. Tom Haberstroh, uh, grade that trade for us, man. I mean, you see, you seem to like it for big picture reasons based on your tweet a little while ago. But just grade, uh, grade that trade uh, from both teams' perspective. I'm also curious as to what Atlanta is up to here. Yeah, to me, this is all about Zion and speaking it into existence. Of course, R.J. Barrett, Cam Reddish, and Zion Williamson played together at Duke a few years ago. And if you remember, 
you know, this recruiting class that Duke got, number one was R.J. Barrett, number two was Cam Reddish, and number three was Zion coming into that that program. So keep in mind of the kind of ceiling we're talking about with Cam Reddish and, and the player that they're acquiring and the backstory of them, of course, playing together at Duke. Look, I think that's what this deal is about, is not just acquiring a player who's a good spacer, who's vastly improved over this past season in Cam Reddish, who can do a couple things offensively and can give you something defensively. That's not what this is about. This is about appealing to that guy in New Orleans who isn't on the floor and still not going to be on the floor for quite some time and seeing if they can speak that into existence. It reminded me of when the Lakers had LeBron and Rich Paul became the agent for Anthony Davis. And I just sat there being like, Mm. nah, like that, that's not going to happen. They're not actually going to be able to acquire Anthony Davis from new Orleans. And that's exactly what happened. So I'm not saying that this is going to happen, that Zion's going to New York, but remember how the stars aligned for LeBron James and Lakerland and Rich Paul in the same way that for the Knicks, I think that they're betting that this is going to make someone very happy. And that audience is of one. It's Zion. I love it. It's fascinating. And I wonder if, if the Knicks view Zion the same way they did, let's say this time last year because of his injuries. You know, I I think a a lot of us looked at it and we wouldn't even allow ourselves to say John Morant should have been number one and Zion too. We're having those kind of conversations or those kind of thoughts now, but do the Knicks still look at and do people in the league still look at Zion as that guy who, hey, you make a trade because it's a piece in bringing him there uh, eventually. Well, look, if there's one thing that coaches love, it's a reclamation project. There is not a coach or a GM in this league that doesn't think that they can fix Zion Williamson, that they can get him into shape, that if they just change his scenery away from New Orleans and the Big Easy and 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 Bourbon Street, that maybe we can get Zion Williamson to stay in shape and to really give it his all in a different scenario, surround him with his college teammates, surround him with a different scenario maybe that will snap him back into shape, quite literally, pun intended. So um, I do think that GMs around the league notice that he hasn't been on the floor and that he has put on some weight. He hasn't been in game shape. But, man, it is a tale as old as time in the NBA is believing that you can change a, a player or a reclamation project. That has always happened in the league. So while Zion Williamson has been injury riddled in his NBA career, I still think people see the guy who is shooting 65% from the floor and averaging over 20 points a game when he was healthy and still not looking any like he did at Duke where he was slim and he was cut and he was just killing people. I do think that his stock around the league is still high, even if it isn't nearly as high as it was on draft night. I mean, listen, we've covered Zion. We've covered RJ Barrett. We've covered Cam Reddish. We might as well stay with this 2019 NBA draft theme and talk about John Morant's Memphis Grizzlies. Uh, Michael and I can't get enough of them. Uh, they're the most must-see team in the league right now. With apologies to you know the Warriors or Nets, uh, they take tonight's gonna be a, a great game. Like a lot of people talking about Warriors Bucks, uh, I, like Timberwolves Grizzlies. Is, I mean Anthony Edwards Zion. Wait, uh, excuse me, John Morant. Like I'm I'm psyched for that game. Uh, both Michael and I have put Memphis in the contender category in the Western Conference, right up there with Golden State and Phoenix. How far do you see? Uh, Memphis going come playoff time, given what they've done so far in the regular season with and without John Morant. 
Yeah, I'm not there yet, guys. I'm not there yet. I've I've loved what I've seen from John Morant, but he needs another star on his team to get him into that next tier. Look, we've seen it with with Chicago with Derrick Rose, where they ran the table there in that 2011 season. He got MVP, and you know, he comp. ran into the machine of of the Miami Heat, the big three in the Miami, and then they just it, they they couldn't compete at that level. Like, who is the number two on that Memphis Grizzlies team? You know, Jaron Jackson Jr. Um, Dylan Brooks, I mean, they're going to have to find someone who is like, you know, in Chicago is like, is it Carlos Boozer? Is Carlos Boozer enough right. to scare the Miami Heat in 2011? And that's my thing with with Memphis is as well as John Moran has been, he still needs that co-pilot to me to take that next level into that contender category. Because I just think Golden State, Phoenix, Milwaukee, Brooklyn, when it comes playoff time, I mean, uh, John Moran cannot do it by himself. I love I, I, so, I, I love hate the, the, the roles comparison. That's that's pretty apt. Go ahead, Michael. Sorry. No, I was going to say, you know, you mentioned Golden State. Do you look at it now with the return of Clay? Do you think, OK, game over? They did well without him. Now that he's coming back, working, working uh, his way back into uh, the rotation and back into shape and getting to his rhythm. You just feel like a Golden State and everybody else in the West. Man, Clay looks great defensively getting after it um, offensively when he dunked it was it was a revelation it was just like it, it, it wasn't even on my radar that he could do that period that he could dunk period and then to do it with that kind of force and that kind of energy it was it was beyond like the stats almost didn't matter I needed to see that and I needed to see him taking on those defensive assignments because those were the two biggest question marks I had not about fit and chemistry like that's fine like his shot I'm not worried about that the two things that I was concerned about was his lift and his ability to move laterally and stay in front of those star players on the other side. And to me, that's the biggest thing about Clay Thompson's return is his ability to not just leap, but dunk and take on those defensive assignments because they're going to need it. They're going to need all the help they can get on that end of the floor. Gary Payton, the second has been fantastic. Another revelation for that team. Uh, but to me, Clay Thompson's addition and his mobility and his confidence, all of that tells me that the Warriors are on another plane. They're on another level despite Steph Curry's slump right now. I know what they can do with Clay Thompson, Draymond Green, and Steph Curry win 73 games, and I really like the complementary players on this team. I still think they're a tier above everybody else. What does uh, Dame Lillard having uh, abdominal surgery? And by the time he gets back, I mean, the Blazers, what, 16 and 24 right now? By the time he gets back, it's hard to imagine that they would still be, uh, you know, in the mix. It might, be, might not even look the same come to the trade deadline, but it's hard to imagine that they'd be in the mix for even a play-in spot by the time he gets back. So let's say his season's done. Uh, what, what's the domino effect of Damian Lillard having uh, abdominal surgery? That's pretty good, Mike. That's impressive. Um, I, 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 I got to say, <laughs> <laughs> the dad jokes, I, I do not have to teach you about those. Um, so when you... <laughs> When you look at this situation, I can't project until they get a general manager there. Who is going to be steering that ship? Is that going to be a, a person that Damian Lillard trusts to, to restart the engines and to retool that organization in a championship form? To me, this just kicks the can down the road to that inevitable conversation that is going to have to be had, that tough conversation that Damian Lillard is going to have to have with his front office about the future of this franchise, not about this year. It's always about what are the next two, three years? What is that going to look like? Because he's not getting any younger. And I know that's true for everybody on this planet, including you and me. But when we talk about Damian Lillard, 
it is all about this offseason and, and seeing a vision about what this looks like going forward. Because, look, Anthony Simons, great, great job the other night against the Nets. Um, you know, Nasir Little, like, this is great. This young nucleus that is forming there in Portland, but that's not going to get it done. That's not going to get them in, in in the conversation of the contender pile. So to me, this injury just kicks the can down the road even more to this summer when things, the fireworks might get even might get even bigger because we might get finally some clarity on the Ben Simmons situation. You know what, Stro? Man, I, I I missed an opportunity. I should have asked you this right after right uh, in, in conjunction with my Clay Thompson Golden State question. Because Michael Smith and I had this debate at the end of the show yesterday. I'm not going to tell you what side he's on, what side I'm on. But I don't know if you saw uh, Steph oh, Curry oh. said, he, had, he got a question. Hey, how would you guys <laughs> do against the 96 Bulls? Jordan, Pippen, Rodman. And, you know, Steph said, you know, he was polite, but he said, dubs in six. Now, I got to say, the dubs with Kevin Durant and Steph and Clay and Draymond and Iguodala. That's the best team I've seen in my lifetime. So I said they w- well, I already gave one. I said they win. Michael Smith says no way. Bulls in four. Bulls in five. Bulls in three. Gentlemen. <laughs> what do you think? Wait, 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 you think with, KD, a- with KD? With KD? Yes. yes. Oh, yeah. That, that's Warriors. Warriors in six. I'm with Steph on that one. Like, I, I don't think people understand um, how the, the three-point shot would be totally alien to everything the Bulls had seen that season. And I know it's hard with these time travel things, but, like, Steph Curry is an alien to today's coaches. Today's coaches don't know what to do with Steph Curry. Now, imagine him in 1995-96 on those defenses that are still packing the paint and wondering what to do with Kevin Durant and Steph Curry and Klay Thompson. Like, I think the three ball is so much bigger advantage than, say, Jordan versus KD or Jordan versus Steph. I think that's a, a gap. They would figure Michael it out. <laughs> they would adjust. No, no, no. Hey, they would figure it out. It's not in Exactly. Hey, Stro, I was trying to give him, I tried no, to give him an out you yesterday. You cheated. I said, you cheated. I said, no. I said, what this era do cheating. you want? I said, are we I said, are we going back to are we playing uh, the Bulls era? Or are we in the modern era? Cheating. He said it doesn't matter. Michael. I tried to give Michael, him, this I tried is to cheating. give him out. You you knew where Stroh was gonna go. You knew I, I was having know. an emotional conversation, and then you bring in Stroh, who you know gonna draw knowledge and facts and whatnot. This ain't about facts, it's about feelings. Okay? It's about feelings. Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, Dennis Robin, and Tony Kukoc. Bulls in five, okay? I don't care about your facts, Stro. Okay, we're not here to be smart. We're here to be emotional and irrational, okay? <laughs> Just understand what show you're on right now. <laughs> they would have you know, someone... figure it out. Bill Jackson would have figured it out somehow. <laughs> you know, someone, yeah, like they figured out that magic team with Shaq, right? Um, so anyway, uh, when we're talking about this team, someone hit me up on Twitter, like, how is... How, who's going to guard Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen? And I'm like, yo, do we not see Andre Iguodala win a finals MVP by playing defense against LeBron James? Like the dude is so much bigger than Scottie Pippen and Michael Jordan. He was still able to win a finals MVP playing defense against LeBron. So not only that, um, I just think it's, it's, it's a total loophole. It's a total loophole. This whole three point shot. Like they wouldn't yeah. even know what to do with Steph. Like no one comes even close 
to that. He is so alien to today's coaches <sighs> back then, man. That's right. It's like it's like yeah. us thinking that aliens down, look like what right. we think they do, but no, aliens are a totally di- like. Nah, man. If aliens are still on this, pl- if aliens are out here, they ain't trying Definitely. to be seen. They ain't trying to yeah. be seen. We are making our own yeah. like human projection. What we think an alien is. That's what Steph is. So it's really true. Deep but, down in places I don't but, talk about but, but parties, Ron, I know you're right. I know you're right. Yeah. Deep down in yeah. places. But Ron Harper, but Ron Harper would lock down Steph. <laughs> yeah, ain't nobody Harper. said that. See, ain't nobody said that. Ain't nobody said that. I'll just take I'll take my chances <laughs> with the two greatest perimeter <laughs> defenders of all time. Oh, Thank my you goodness. very much. With apologies to the glove. Apologies to Gary Payton. Dennis Rodman will get in their heads. All those intangibles, Stro. We're talking about intangibles here. <laughs> yeah, I just want to hear where this Brooklyn Nets team, what they would be like against, uh, what was it, the, the 96 Bulls we're talking? Yeah. It, yeah. I'm done with them. I'm done. You done with the Nets or the 96 Bulls? I'm talking about this this Nets team. How everyone's so excited about this next this this Nets team after what they did last night. I'm just I'm so sick of it, man. Oh wow! Ooh, all right, wait a well, minute. Yeah. Hold on. <laughs> I'm just yeah, saying, bring it's it back. Like, now. Yo, you had one game, one game Woo! with the three of them, and we're starting the parade route already. Like, chill. They've lost five of the last. Uh, they, they're five and six in their last eleven games. They lost to a CJ McCollum, Damian Lillardless team in Portland, and we're starting the parade route. Let's get real. Sorry, just I should have saved it for the show. I love it. The longest field goal ever attempted is seventy-six yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also seventy-six yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Bruce, uh, make the succinct case for your quarterback as uh, as the MVP of this league this season. I think it's... If he doesn't get it, it's a travesty. I mean, most completions ever, 5,000 yards, touchdowns, the whole, the whole nine yards. I mean, I mean, to me, it's not, even a, it's not even a close race. You're a demand, Chris Sims, a travesty. He said it'd be a travesty if Tom Brady is not the MVP. It's Honestly, not I just even a close that. race. Yeah, I just played that to close, see your head. I just wanted to see your head explode, uh, Chris Sims. But it's, since, since you're still here, your head did not explode. You're smiling. You're taking it in stride. That's his head coach. And as you told us last time you were on the show, that's what they do in Tampa. You know, Tom, you told us, I think you said something to the effect of Tom Brady's just the guy patting stats, you know, in, among coaches who just like to pad stats. So I'm going to flip it on you. Would it be a travesty, to use Bruce Arians words, Chris Sims, if your boy Aaron Rodgers is an MVP. Would you go so far as say it's a travesty if it's not Rodgers? I, I would. Yeah, I do. I think, you know, Rodgers' success and his ability to play translates more to his team's success than Brady necessarily. And again, I'm not trying to take away from Brady. Brady's amazing. What we're seeing is remarkable. You know, as you know, as you know, at times I just get sick of the rhetoric around it at times. That's what drives me crazy. But 
Now, I'm not going to say I think it's a travesty. If Tom Brady got the MVP, I, I would not feel that way. I'd go, that wouldn't be my pick. I don't understand it. But I can understand why other people would get behind it. I, I, I can. Because we ju- we're know, just the sheep. Of it. The rest of us are just sheep. Well, no. <laughs> That's what you're no. I don't mean the rest of you. I don't even, I'm not necessarily talking about you. I just, I understand, you know, the way football fans, some of the voters, how they think. And they just look at it and they look at the stats and they know he's a great leader and all of that. And I, I wouldn't call it a travesty if Tom Brady won it. I would not go that far. But you're not taking anything away from Tom Brady. I got to go back to the beginning, Michael. I got to go back to the beginning. You said, I think I heard you say that Rogers' play translates more to winning than Tom Brady. Is that what you said off the top? Yeah, definitely. I do. Right. I mean, again, Rogers is not nearly does not have nearly as good a supporting cast in any area. There's not one area where you can go. They're better there, and that's why it helps Rodgers. There's not one. I mean, maybe running the football, okay, but I would still tell you in big games, I bet you the Bucks run the ball better than the Packers do. Anytime it's a big game, they can't run the ball against top elite defenses. You've seen that against the 49ers in the championship game a few years ago. You saw it against the Bucks last year. They're a fake run team. They run the ball against the weak because they're so worried about Rodgers throwing the ball, they can do that. So, yes, I think, again, you know, other than that game one against the Saints, you, know, you see how important he is to his football team. Laid an absolute egg against the Kansas City Chiefs football team when he wasn't there. You know, the other loss they had, he was amazing. He was out of this world good. But the team doesn't hold up their bargain. They can't stop Dalvin Cook or Justin Jefferson or anything. But it was he plays phenomenal football even in a game like that. To me, everything about the Packers goes through Rodgers. Everything. He helps the defense out because he controls the ball. They win time of possession. He gets first downs. He helps them out in that way. The offense, other than Devontae Adams, you know, does not have any pass-catching real playmakers. There's nobody. Again, we got back to this. Aaron Jones is the second leading receiver. It's not because they go, oh, man, he's so awesome. Let's feed him all the time. It's because, oh, man, we don't even know who our number two receiver is. So let's go with a running back who is as good as most of our receivers. That's where I get into that a little bit. And then again, you get to the Rams game that the, the, that the, the Bucks lost. You get to the two Saints games that they lost. You know, we get to the Washington football game. You get to the Jets game that they squeak by. They're all underwhelming performances by Brady where the pocket and people got a little close to him and he can't look downfield or do anything and checks it down. That's where wow. I'm just going to keep it real with everybody. I know, and it's, nobody I wants to hear that. You can't real. say these things. <laughs> I love talking to this dude about Tom Brady. You keep you keep it real. I love talking to Sims. You keep it real so much it might go wrong for you. You keep it. Well, no, it is going wrong for me. My boss came up to me this week and told me that I'm too critical of Brady and that it's it's hurting uh, it's hurting you know myself and my legitimacy because I'm a little too critical of him. So I might be hurting myself. I respectfully disagree. I respectfully disagree. Let me just let Thank me just you. guess. I'm gonna guess that your boss is from Massachusetts. 
Yeah, well, he is. Yes, oh, he okay. is. He's your <laughs> boss, too. He's all yeah, of our bosses. Hey, but it was that boss. Right. Yes, I know. it was. Yeah. I know. Yeah. I know. Listen, I always tease him. He's like, he was back when I was doing uh, sports talk radio, he was, on, he was on line two every day. When I come in, open up the show, he's sitting there on line two wanting to talk about uh, New England sports. But let me ask you this. Um, uh, let's go from talking about the royalty to the, the, the peasants of the league, so to speak. And that is your New York Giants. That was a team of your youth, rightfully so. Uh, they are a mess. They are a hot mess, Chris. How would you, how would you fix this team, or is this team even fixable? When I ask that question, is that like, is that a simple answer, or is that like a five-year project? No, it, it's it's more than a one-year project. That's for sure. Uh, that, that, that there's no doubt. I mean, it, again, it's in disarray. It's hard for me to defend it. Yeah, it's my team. It's still my team. I love the New York Giants. I love the Mara family. I do. You know, I think maybe they finally have seen the light in figuring out what to do here, and at least have like clean slate. Let's get a GM we believe in, and now let's him let him hire a coach so they can get on the same page and build a team that makes sense for both of their visions and how they see the team. To me, that's how great franchises work. You know, they've been stuck a little bit in the last few years of, you know, GM, coach, coach, GM. None of them match up. None of them were hired together. And I think that makes it hard at times because the GM might have one philosophy in building the team and the coach is going, wait, but I want to coach the team like this and I don't want those kind of players. So that's where it can be an issue, and I'm hoping they've realized that. It seems like it with all the comments we heard from the Mara family. You know, uh, they, they, a lot of people are critical of the Mara family, saying they're too involved in the organization. Hey, I get that. You know, the optics of it do look like there's a few too many cooks in the kitchen. I think it's if it is that way, it's for the right reasons. Their hearts are in the right place. This is not about like just you know power and money. They want the Giants to be good. It's the family business. But I'll give them credit in the fact that they were able to pull the Band-Aid off in this situation. I was a Joe Judge defender, no doubt about it. But I think, you know, again, with the results on the field, some of the underwhelming assistant coaches that, you know, people here in New York didn't like, other than maybe Patrick Graham, the defensive coordinator, and then the 11-minute rant after the Eagles game, and then the quarterback sneak on third and nine, The Giants became a meme on social media. They really did. And the fan base, it looked like they were teetering on giving up on the team altogether. So I understand, you know, them making this decision to to let go of Joe Judge. Hey, Chris, as as we uh, approach Super Wild Card Weekend, um, Michael and I had this long, drawn-out thought exercise, and thought is being generous, but thought exercise the other day. We went through the bracket, and we both arrived. I think we both did, Michael. We both arrived at the same place, which was uh, Chiefs Packers in Super Bowl 56. And so, as I'm looking at other people's, you know, predictions or whatever in the playoff bracket, it seems like everybody's on Chiefs Packers, and maybe in a slight twist, Bucks Chiefs or something like that. Another a, a rematch of last year's Super Bowl, of course. Um, and that's and that's weird. In, a, in such a season, uh, a season of unpredictability, right. are the playoffs really, at the end of the day, predictable, or are you willing to go out on a limb and, and take a literal, a literal and figurative wild card to crash this presumed Packers-Chiefs party that we're all planning? 
Well, yeah, I, 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 yes. I, I, of course, you said it right, Michael. I mean, it's a weird year. There's no real great team. There's no team or two in each conference where the rest of the conference looks and go, man, we better get good in this area because we know we're going to have to beat that team to go to the Super Bowl. It's a matchup year. You know, like I've explained to people about last week a little bit, maybe this just explains it a little bit, where, man, if the Chiefs play the Raiders in the, this weekend, they're going to blow them out. We've seen it twice. It's going to be a blowout. But if the Chargers got in as the number seven seed, let's say, right, and they had to play the Chiefs, I'd go, oh, it's a coin flip. They match up differently with the Chiefs. I don't know who's going to win that game. I mean, so that's really what I'm trying to say. It's a year of where, you know, yeah, I'll fill out my bracket right now and see who wins. But it's a year where I also would go, wait, now let's see how next weekend's matchups kind of match up here. And I might change my bracket if I had the opportunity to then. I do think, though, to what you're asking, like the Buccaneers, if healthy, are the most talented team in football. And if they get close to healthy here, I have a hard time. I don't give a damn if they play the game in Lambeau and Antarctica, New England or South Florida. I have a hard time thinking that the Packers can beat the Buccaneers. Uh, I do. I just think it's a bad matchup. I think the Buccaneers pose some real problems. They're just more talented than they are. So, uh, you know, in, in my de facto bracket, I got the Bucks going to the Super Bowl. In fact, I had the Bucks playing the 49ers in the NFC Championship game, just to let you know that. So I think both right. of those teams are dangerous. And then Ooh, the I AFC. Like the Niners. Like the Niners. The AFC, yeah, that's the one team I'd say watch out for that's, you know, maybe not one of the main teams to talk about. The AFC... Mm-hmm. I mean, if we get down to a Chiefs-Titans AFC championship game, why is everyone just writing Chiefs in like that's just going to happen automatically? I I don't understand that. I don't. You know, again, this is a Titans team that's offense and defensive line will not be overmatched by any offense or defensive line in football. You see when the receivers are healthy like last week, they can throw the football and be plenty, you know, explosive in that department. And then we think Derrick Henry might be coming back here soon. All yeah. I would say is, like, in the AFCs, people stop sleeping on the Titans. They're, it's not is, sexy, is but pick? they're good. So you got the Titans in the AFC? I think if you put a gun to my head, I'd probably go Titans-Bucks oh, right boy. now. Hey, I hey, probably would, yeah. That would be that would be fun. Yeah, yeah that well, would be fun, though. I yeah. mean, like, you want to talk about, about crazy, crazy full circle is, is Brady going against the guy who used to throw touchdown passes in the Super Bowl. Uh, right. too, and that's Mike right. Rabel. And like, look, Tannehill said it the other day. I never, I, I, I didn't regain my mojo the last couple of weeks because I never lost it. I thought, though, mm. when you talked about sleeper teams in the AFC, you know, you might talk up your new BFF, Joe Burrow. Yeah, we know you've been making moves out here. <laughs> you know, I didn't know, I didn't know talking to Joe Burrow all exclusively and whatnot might have got you, uh, might have got you on a little bit more on my Bengals bandwagon. Well, no, I, I'm, I, they're one of those teams again. You know, outside of them where I'd go, I mean, if they play the Chiefs in the AFC Championship game, I mean, we know they can beat the Chiefs, period. You know, do I think a team like, you know, maybe the Tennessee Titans could give them some more? I think that they match up worse with a team like the Titans than they do the Chiefs. So that's where I'd go to that. But again, I'm not, yeah, I'm certainly not singling singling them out of this action here. You know, I really only look at it, and just to make sure I get this straight, all right? I only look at it as really three teams in the whole thing that I looked at that go, I don't think there's any way they can win the Super Bowl or get there. And that's the Raiders, the Steelers, and the Eagles. I think everybody else 
you can make a case for and go, they could get there. And yeah, there's my man Joe B. That'll be in the pregame show. Uh, Sunday or Saturday game, you know, Steelers, uh, Raiders versus Bengals. You'll see the full thing in entirety there. But uh, th- that was cool talking to him. Nice today. tease. Nice tease. Thank there you. you go. Very, very, you. very well done. Like, and by the yeah. way, hey, if you're not hey, aware, Chris's check boss, out the hey, Chris, hey, Chris's hey, boss. He's talking to Joe Burrow. He's doing workouts here. Chris's hey, boss. Hey, come on. Me. He's doing, doing, <laughs> doing a really good job. Let me ask you this. This is something else I talked with Mike about, and I know you're a Josh Allen fan. So, if if Patriots if the Patriots Bills game were played in a dome anywhere, p- pick any NFL city in, in the United States, I'd pick the Bills probably by ten points. But I look at the Bills, and it's so strange—a team that is based in Western New York is not really built for the cold weather, and you can see that in Josh Allen's performance when it when the weather comes in there. The Bills don't look the same. So I'm thinking that on Saturday, when it's supposed to be six degrees in Buffalo, Buffalo, awful this time of year, just awful. Uh, I think the Patriots might have the advantage here simply because of the weather. What do you think? Well, I, I think when the game is cold like that, the game does slow down a little bit which favors the team that is a maybe bigger and slower, which I think that's the Patriots are. I think they're the bigger team, you know, and yeah, I don't think they're maybe quite as fast as the bills who are built a little bit more on team speed and got a few smaller guys at certain positions. Uh, I, I don't disagree with that sentiment, but to me, I think there's gotta be another, I don't think six degrees is going to do it for me to change me either way. If I knew there's going to be sleet and snow or some crazy wind like we saw in the first matchup against these two, I'd go, ooh, okay, that scares me a little. But I I saw, like, even in the first matchup, the Bills dropped the ball in the fact that it took them too long to realize that, wait, this damn guy at quarterback can throw the ball through 40-mile-per-hour wins. Wait, we can throw the ball and do this. So I don't know if it's going to matter. Him coming from Wyoming, some of the other games I've seen that have been cold up there, that doesn't seem to affect him. Snow, wind, maybe. Um, but he's certainly enemy of the state number one as far as what the Patriots got to do or stop. Because the, the second matchup where the Bills won, I mean, it was the Josh Allen show. I mean, very rare in the 20-something years Bill Belichick's been a head coach where I've seen a quarterback do that to his defense where there were so many plays where he called the right defense, the perfect defense, and they still couldn't stop Josh Allen. And that is the thing I'm excited to watch, Michael Holly, is just what do they have in store to keep him in the pocket a little bit more? Not let him run around and make some of those magical plays. The quarterback runs which are so effective. And then that, coupled with, they had a hard time doing defending Allen and defending crossers the first game around. And so I am very excited to see the Belichick plan of attack uh, against the guy that I think has reached like you know, Rodgers, Peyton Manning type stratosphere as far as the respect Belichick has for the guy he's playing, knowing that it's going to be a tough challenge for his defense. Definitely. You know, Chris, I haven't seen him and Michael. I'll just say just real real quick. Seeing Josh Allen as a rookie and seeing Josh Allen right now is unbelievable. His improvement has been I, I, I really haven't seen this from a lot of players where where they were when they came into the league and where they are now. It has been just uh, it's off the charts. It really is. 
And, and that's why Brian Dable is such a, a hot candidate, deservedly so. Hey, Chris Sims, uh, we have the utmost respect for you is what I was going to say, even when you're disrespecting Tom Brady. It's all love, brother. We appreciate you. <laughs> <laughs> have a Thank good you. weekend. <laughs> and we'll see you Thank with you, Joe you Burrow. Peace out. Saturday's show or Saturday's pregame show on hey, NBC. Appreciate you, man. The, Thank boss, you. the boss is calling Thanks, you right man. now. Check your phone. Boss calling you right yeah, now. Yeah, that's right. How dare you? You did His that to Brady exploded. again. I like that sweetness the shirt, though. That sweetness shirt is sweet. All right. Thank you, man. I like let me that. See, hold on, let me see. Let me see if I got a text. Hold on, I got three texts. No, no, he didn't text me. <laughs> he did not text me. I still got a job. Yes, I still got a job. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Not shocking. Not even surprising. Surprising, but nonetheless disappointing uh, that the Texans fired David Culley after one season and a 4-13 and record, which is not indicative of how hard this team played for him uh, and certainly not representative of the difficult task that he inherited. Nonetheless, many of us, including both of me and Michael Holly, thought before the season that he could end up being one and done a la Steve Wilkes a few years ago in Arizona. Um, and so... Since the last time we talked about this earlier in the show, Michael, when we talked about it from a macro sense, and there's more to talk about from a macro sense with the league now down uh, to one black coach, and that's, of course, Mike Tomlin in Pittsburgh. Aaron Wilson, uh, who's pretty plugged into the Houston Texans, reports that, and this isn't a surprise, we both know the relationship and the background uh, between these two, that general manager Nick Casario is targeting former Dolphins coach Brian Flores that he's the Texans top candidate given that connection with Nick Casario. There's a lot to unpack here. Okay, because there's, there's, there's a lot of layers to peel back because one and let's go micro right. to macro. Let's go micro to macro, right? Let's start right. with the possibility that this is the guy that they want and uh, I've already had this question posed to me and that is would a Nick excuse me would a Brian Flores hiring in Houston entice off the field sexual assault allegations legal matters aside momentarily would that entice Deshaun Watson who prior to the allegations wanted to be traded wanted exclusively to be traded to Miami to play for Brian Flores would that entice Deshaun Watson to reconsider and stay in Houston where he's of course under contract long term given the relationship with Brian Flores, should the Texans end up replacing David Culley with Brian Flores? Uh, if I'm guessing, and I'm, I'm telling you right now that I'm guessing, um, yeah, I know yeah. a lot, but I'll tell you what I don't know for sure. I don't think so. I really don't right. think so. I think is I don't believe so. My informed speculation uh, is that I don't believe that that would make a difference as to whether or not Deshaun Watson would reconsider and want to remain in Houston because Deshaun Watson's issues in Houston, again, pre-allegations, uh, went much higher than the head coach. As much as he likes Brian Flores, 
I think that bridge is burned and I think that ship has sailed. I think it came down to Cal McNair first and foremost. Uh, secondly, as we all know, has been well documented. The um, the way they went about telling him you're going to be a part of this process and then hiring Nick Casario. Um, that further soured the relationship. Uh, so when David Culley came aboard, Deshaun Watson didn't give him a chance uh, to foster a relationship. I don't think that hiring Brian Flores would cure all of that. But again, as we both know, a lot of that's a moot point because Deshaun Watson's availability remains in question given the, uh, the off-field, uh, the sexual assault allegations that still hover over him. So just to get that out of the way, I don't think that one has nothing to do with the other. I think um, Brian Flores working with Nick Casario is the bottom line. I think Nick Casario has an opportunity. If this is true that he is a top candidate, I think it's just connecting New England dots, Michael. And you can speak to that even better than I can. That this is an opportunity yeah. to get your guy and a guy that long ago when they were working in scouting and when they were working together in New England, they were probably like, yo, man, if I ever get a gig, yeah, if I ever get a gig, if it ever opportunity ever be, presents itself, bam. So that's what I think it is. It's nothing more than familiarity at the top. Well, I would say, but I would say this, just to add on to what you're saying, you obviously are um, more, more informed on the Watson situation than I am, but my, my guess from the outside looking in is no, it wouldn't change Watson's opinion because of what just happened. Look, you can say, hey, I'm going to bring in Brian Flores. And that's my guy. Okay, you brought in Brian Flores. Now I'm ready to play for you right now. But you've already shown me that your loyalty, that you've already shown me, one, before, before David Cully got here and before Nick Casario got here, you already told me that your word is a little suspect. So I don't trust you on your word. And then in your actions, you're telling me that you're not necessarily into loyalty and into fulfilling contracts. You signed David Cully to a two-year contract. He did a good job after one year, and you kicked him to the curb because somebody else came available when they were also treated poorly by their organization. So if I'm Deshaun Watson, I'm looking at all this, I'm saying all of these coaches, and I, and I would overstate it, yeah, all of these coaches are disposable. There's really no loyalty. There's no long-term plan. If they get what they want, yeah, they could tell me that Brian Flores is my guy, but I come back and play for them. Who's to say Brian Flores isn't gone after two years? You just never know. So if his problems are deep with the organization, they go beyond a position, a single position. It's usually, when you reach that point where you say, I'm done there, it's usually not one thing. It's like five or six things. Maybe it's just like a bunch of paper cuts that, that yeah. add up to... Well, Mike, bleeding. Let, let me let me let me tell you something else. So as we as just, again, as we think about this in real time, um, if anything, so Nick Casario has history and familiarity with Brian Flores and vice versa. Given this relationship, it's not just Brian Flores saying, hey, Deshaun, a la David Cully, hey, come play for me. Let's win here together. It's hey, Deshaun, what's up with your mans? Tell me about Cal McNair. Tell me about Jack Easterby. Tell me about the culture in this organization. You know, I know Nick Casario from New England, but that was New England. I don't know. He's worse than what he left. So this relationship, it's worse than the one, this relationship, yeah, it's worse. Yeah, so this relationship yeah, on the surface, say the organization is just bad. Yeah, bad organization. right. But this, but this relationship on the surface, people are looking at it like uh, about Brian Flores pitching to Sean Watson on reconsidering his stance. 
you might want to think about it from the standpoint of Brian Flores consulting Deshaun Watson and getting the inside scoop on Houston. That relation, and, and not to mention, man, listen, let's. This ain't hard. This ain't rocket science. Okay, whether it's New York or some other team, there or you know Minnesota, there's opportunities out there for these two to team up elsewhere if they if they really want to play this right. I mean, if, Desha- if if Brian Flores was one of the driving forces, if not the driving force behind Deshaun Watson wanting to go to Miami, they got seven other vacancies right now. Not all of them need a quarterback, of course. Um, but there were seven other vacancies that preceded uh, Houston firing David Cully. So it could, it, could, it could backfire on Houston, Deshaun Watson's intel on the culture that Cal McNair has, has governed uh, in Houston for all these years. Um, I'd like to pivot to the macro now, Michael, because yes. this is something of a plot twist. Now, if you're a, a viewer and a subscriber to this show and this podcast, you heard me and Michael go smooth off er- earlier in the show when we found out that David Kelly got fired because we're down to one black coach in the NFL as it stands and that's Mike Tomlin in Pittsburgh, of course. Well, plot twist. The top target is reportedly a black coach, Brian Flores, who of course was fired on Monday in Miami and we had a problem with that too. So I'd be saying, well, hey, does that make you feel any better? Well, there you, there no. you go. Oh, no. so you spoke no. too soon. Exactly. Oh, you, you spoke too no. soon. You Absolutely spoke too not. soon. No. David Cullen, no. black, no. black no. man no. got fired. No. Michael Smith, you no. said that you said that they only hired David Cullen to see if he could appease Deshaun Watson. And how you feel now? Here's a black, not a top target is a black coach. See, there you go. It ain't, it ain't race. On the contrary. Go ahead, Michael, and I'll follow you. No, it, it, it is. It, th- this is not progress. You can't, you can't just replace a black coach with a black coach and say, all right, it's all good. Look, the, the, the fact remains, David Cully was done wrong. I don't care who his replacement is. He was done wrong. You don't bring him into that situation, say, oh, I see somebody else to, uh, out there better. You didn't, get, you didn't set him up for success. You fire him. You just, just, you just discard him, and then you bring in another coach and say, hey, he's black. Here we go. No, it's, this is not drop one, bring in another, that's not progress. So anybody who's looking at it that way and just saying, well, it's another black guy, you should be satisfied. I think that is a total total misreading of what's happening here. The Texans once employed a black general manager and Rick Smith did a phenomenal job, okay? Um, It's no different. The, the, The issue is not strictly numbers. It's why the numbers. So, again, like we said earlier, uh, in case you missed it, if we are paranoid and sensitive, we seem paranoid or sensitive, it's because we're protective because we only had three to begin with. Out of 32, the league has a problem. And as Michael Holly just said, replacing one black coach for another does not signify progress. And not just in terms of numbers. The issue is the double standard that has existed since the beginning of time in this country and since the founding of this league and specifically as it relates to coaches. It's how black coaches are talked about black. I've said this so many times, but you might be new. So I'll say it for the cheap seats. Look, when's the last time you heard a black coach be described as a genius as a strategic genius? Never. Never. But it's always a player's it's, coach, always somebody who relates happened. to players, always somebody who's a motivator. Okay, but when it comes to yeah. X's and O's, ingenuity, 
strategy, creativity. Black coaches are never. If you want, to, honestly, if you really want to be honest about it, it's rare in society. Usually, that term when it comes to black people is reserved for singers and and artists right. or writers, literary genius, musical genius. But when it comes to academics, and I don't want to overstate football, but even from the standpoint of just strategy, no. You know, how often are black candidates seen as the hot candidate? Brian Flores is the first one in a long time, and that's because the Dolphins were dumb enough to hire a guy who went back-to-back -back winning seasons and won 19 games in two years. So this is an exception, not the rule. Black candidates rarely are the candidates that organizations decide to just skip the process to get to. Yeah. For, for, as another example, okay? Black candidates, black coaches, don't get the opportunity to fail. Don't get the opportunity to reestablish culture uh, or establish a culture. They're in the hot seat the moment they take the job. Oftentimes, set up to fail and not to succeed. Rarely given the benefit of the doubt. Rarely allowed to be retreads. That's why it's so exciting. So exciting to, to that the mere possibility that finally Jim Caldwell, who was done dirty in Detroit, may reemerge and be the savior that Jacksonville needs. Certainly ain't the coach that organization deserves, but it is the one that Jacksonville needs. It's Jim Caldwell. I've advocated for Byron Leftwich. How long has Eric B. Enemy been waiting? Okay, so and hiring Brian Flores, given the relationship that he has with Nick Casario, makes all the football sense in the world. But as we're finally saying, more than one thing can be true. That does not negate the double standards and the ongoing struggle for black coaches and executives. Don't mean to leave out GMs. Black coaches, executives, and scouts when it comes to not only getting an opportunity, but an equal opportunity in the NFL and society at large, Michael. And and just to be clear, I think we feel the same way about this. I've never talked to you about it, but I, I, I would guess that's saying the same something way about it. You've never talked to me I about what? To, what if we never, never talked, talked to you about, about this? We've never talked about this. Everything you said, uh, I, I agree with, with with black coaches and the double standard and these opportunities, how rare they are. And we've had this conversation about black genius. It is it is rarely used. It is rarely used uh, throughout. And uh, sometimes, sometimes with entertainers, sometimes with athletes, not always. They usually have to be like top of the top, exceptional athletes. Except, I mean, yeah. like like the top 3% of athletes who get that because sometimes guys are so good. Oh, the natural talent, the natural ability, sure. the athleticism. Right. It's not he's about just, work ethic. He's, not a, about, yeah. he's an Le alien. He's a for his basketball. He's IQ. from a different sure. planet. He's from, you know, you know the oh. whole thing, but not and, really. Well, wait, and that IQ about. is only reserved. That IQ is only reserved for sports, by the way, because a guy like LeBron gets credit for his basketball yeah. IQ, but step outside of basketball and we know what they say. Continue. That's right. That, you know, shut up and dribble. But we never talked about the opposite. I, okay, Hugh Jackson, the black coach. Mm -hmm. I can't. I couldn't really make the case. I like Hugh. I couldn't make the case that he didn't get a fair shot. That was mm -hmm. a pretty terrible record. Um, mm -hmm. Hugh worked for Marvin Lewis. Marvin Lewis turned around the culture in Cincinnati. Problem is, couldn't win a playoff game. And after mm -hmm. a while, I was. I stayed I was there thinking, for a long okay, time. Hey yeah. man, hey, 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 you had your yeah. shot, you had your opportunity. Now he lasted longer. He lasted mm -hmm. longer than like black. Yeah, a lot coach, of people thought he white coach, 
Coach of any race, any background, any nationality. Wow. You, you yeah. last that late. I think you was there for like 15 years. Is it How you there for 15 yeah. years? How you there yeah. for 15 years and don't win a playoff game? So yeah. it's not across the board. I think I think that I think we know that. But just those who are new to the show, it's not like, hey, yeah. black coach, you get the job and have and have tenure. And you just got the job until uh, you decide yeah, that's rare. that you just don't want it anymore. I don't I'm not yeah. I'm not saying that. What I'm yeah. saying is get the opportunity that is fair that anybody else would get. And I think it's fair to say Steve Wilkes didn't get the opportunity that anybody else would get. Uh, right. David Cully didn't get the opportunity that anybody else would get. And and for that matter, Stephen Ross, I know is a black man to place. And stop with that. Can we just say, hey, you know, parenthetical? Hey, it can't be race because the black dudes are black. I don't GM. care. Yeah. I don't right. care. Stop that. Stop that. <laughs> okay. Just right. because there's a black general manager doesn't mean that it wasn't foul. The departure right. of Brian Brian Flores. He or didn't that get he, the or, opportunity. Or that subconsciously they don't they don't view right. Brian they don't value Brian Flores. Like right. I've, I think I've said this before, Michael. I've I've been paid a lot. I don't know that I've been valued. Okay, mm. I've been I've been compensated, Ooh. but I don't know Say that again. I've been Say valued the way I should be valued. Ooh. Oftentimes, Ooh. and that's and I think a lot of people can relate to that. We get paid, but are you valued? Mm. And I don't and and I think that's what often happens with black coaches. They're they serve a specific purpose, but are not valued. So I think the issue with Miami is it was some tension between, uh, you know, a black coach and a black a black general manager. And I'm not trying to shade Chris Greer at all, but all skin folk and kin folk. And that's not to say that either one of them was at fault. Right. That just doesn't mean that they they're incapable of of clashing simply because they got the same skin color. It also, to your point, doesn't mean that Stephen Ross isn't incapable of undervaluing his black coach because of whatever subconscious bias he may have or institutional bias may exist within the NFL. I'm glad you brought up Marvin Lewis because a lot of people are like, damn, Marvin, like, what about Marvin Lewis? You know, that's that's a great example. Like, look how much of a of a, of, a, of an extended runway he had. You know, all those yeah. all those underachieving yeah. seasons that he had when Marvin Lewis probably turn water into wine more than most coaches in recent memory have have given what he had to deal with with ownership in Cincinnati, but that's with a conversation that organization. That's right. It's no that's different right. than saying you had a black president. Okay, so it's like, yeah, it's like yeah. that doesn't change everything. Yeah. Okay. Oh my yes, God. Yeah. Oh, and, that, and yes, Joe Judge show. got fired. Yeah, yes, Joe Judge got fired after two seasons. And yes, there are plenty of white coaches that are one and done. But white coaches get way disproportionately amount of a disproportionate amount of opportunities to begin with, and benefit of the doubt once they're in the door. Full stop. That's Where, the issue. What, what, what white coach was one and done, fired unfairly? Unfairly? Are, are we talking about uh, unfairly? Are we talking about uh, what was uh, wasn't Cam Cameron in Miami? It was like one and. He like one in fifteen or something like that. Yeah. And was he one and done? I mean, I'm just trying to think. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, you one in fifteen, bro. Like, I mean, come on. Hey, we, yeah. we are. It, it's not one stop shopping. I won't just say. Hey, in every case, a black coach gets fired. It's unfair. In every case, a white coach gets fired. Um, uh, it, it's it's unfair or it's fair. No. I think I think Joe Judge. Really fired himself. He fired oh, yeah, himself. Yeah, no. with, yeah, with no, the, with the only, his, reason, I, with the only reason I brought up the white statements coaches plus performance. Yes, and performance. No, the only reason I brought up the white coaches 
is just I, I, I imagine there are pl plenty, you know, like trying to counter this unnecessarily probably. I'm just, there trying, are to plenty. I'm just trying to think of it. Well, no, 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 no it's not that it, because because the, the, the counter argument is often well, you know, if he wasn't good, maybe he just wasn't good. Maybe David Cully wasn't good or or and this is legitimate. Maybe Nick Casario is truly getting the coach that he wants. And that coach that he wants has ties to New England because not only is he looking at um, uh, Brian Flores, but reportedly also looking at Gerard Mayo, who you and I have both talked up, who you know very well. You worked with him yeah, and great. covered him. He's great. Okay, so yeah. two leading candidates happen to be black. But the purpose of this entire conversation that we're having is that it's not that simple. Okay, doesn't have to be racist to be racial to have racial undertones, for there to be a racial issue here, for there to be a co constructive conversation to be had about why this league, and look, they could be can leading candidates all they want. Jim Caldwell could interview all he wants. Leslie Frazier could interview all he wants. Gerard Mayo, Brian Flores could be hot candidates all they want. Right now, as we speak, out of 32 teams with now eight yeah. vacancies, one brother. That's a problem. We'll see if they fix it. We'll see. And even then, even if they end up with three or four, that's still a problem. And it's been a problem for a long time. And we and, and, and we are having, we are broken records, same days, different toilet. Excuse me, same, yeah, same, same poop, different toilet, same song, wow. different verse. That's graphic. That's what I'm trying to that's say. Graphic. That's what I'm trying to say. No, it's, it feels like we've having this conversation for years now. Let's go ahead, let's take another break and um Yeah, I mean, go ahead, look, you got to get the last word yeah, and we go to break. Yeah, we'll, yeah, we'll take a break, but look, the, the fact the fact that the NFL has to incentivize interviews and hiring yeah. tells you everything you need to know. And not just with head coaches, but with general managers as well. If you're a team and you don't have and you don't have draft picks, theoretically you could do this. You want to talk about loopholes? Theoretically, you hire a black coach like David Cully. Get a uh, get a second or third round pick, and then move on after a year. I mean, I mean that's absurd, but that's what the league has come to to get people to look at I never, black candidates I never seriously. Liked it. That's not only the was problem. It absurd. Not only was it absurd, Michael. I was insulted by it. I never liked that that system. The longest field goal ever attempted is seventy six yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Frank and I have been together for four years and been building this. You know, the expectations are high, and we accept that. And we won't, like, I won't sit up here and make excuses of why we got our ass beat in Jacksonville, because that's what happened. We got our ass beat. It happens, but we got our ass beat. And, you know, and it's magnified because of the moment. You know, the moment was big. It was, a big, it was for a playoff spot, and it's one that, you know, as a team – you know, we thought we were good enough to win, and at the end of the day, we didn't.
when we made the decision after Philip retired and we made the decision to to make a move on Carson, um, at the time of the decision, we felt good about it. And I still don't regret the decision at the time. Just sitting here today, just so y'all know, I won't I won't make a comment on who's gonna be here gonna be here next year. That's not fair. That's not fair to any player. Um, I thought Carson did some good things, and there's a lot of things that he needs to do better. You know, our passing game has to be better. That Chris Ballard could have said that any better, to be honest with you, Michael. That was, I mean, listen, it sounds like Carson Wentz is already on the clock. Uh, You know, that he, that the the Colts are in the market for a quarterback upgrade after surrendering a first and third round pick uh, to Philadelphia to reunite Carson Wentz with Frank Reich. Um, but I thought that was as measured and honest and frank a response as, 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 as he could give. And understandably so. Michael, I spent this morning, I didn't watch it last night, I watched the finale of Hard Knocks. Phenomenally compelling. Couple of takeaways was one, um, the Colts were not the least bit surprised about what happened. They spent all week preparing for and trying to guard against exactly what happened again to them in Jacksonville. Yeah, so it wasn't a a, a matter of overlooking or taking somebody lightly based on their record. That wasn't what it was. Number two, they needed somebody, especially on offense. Buckner was hurt on a defensive line. The defensive backs were hurt. They needed somebody on offense, ideally the quarterback to take everybody by the collective collar and lift them up when they needed it most. But Carson Wentz was incapable of transcending the circumstances because you know Jacksonville to their credit shut down Jonathan Taylor uh, number three. I told you Jacksonville was better than than, than, than their record was and, and you didn't disagree with me on that. They yeah. beat Buffalo. They beat Brian Flores yeah. Miami uh, Dolphins team in London. They were they, they competed hard as they had for most of the season in spite of their former head coach Urban Meyer and number four most important as a life lesson. I thought I watched this and I, and I watched the, the fallout from it and I watched them really not wanting to hear all the cliches from Frank Reich. This yeah. was the end of the Colts season, but it doesn't have to be the end of their story. They could they could end up having an amazing story, and this could just be the middle part. This could just be that inflection point for them, where with the right moves, they could be where we expected them okay. to be this year. But that's yeah, the, the uh, right moves, optimist in me talking. Okay, that, that sounds good. That sounds good, but they can make the right moves, but they don't have the right guy at quarterback. Look, uh, and we talked about this earlier. Carson Wentz is is proof is is exhibit number one or exhibit number two. <laughs> Carson Wentz is, is is proof that the numbers don't necessarily tell the story of how well you did. Carson no. Wentz's no. numbers, if you weren't paying attention to the season, you just step back yeah. and you look at those numbers and say, man, those numbers are pretty good. Right, low interceptions, a decent amount of touchdown passes, 27 touchdown 27-7, I think, yeah. Yeah, looks good. He had a season like that before in Philadelphia, but this was not good quarterback play. Carson Wentz. This is why they're not committing to him. They can talk all they want about hey, getting better and improvement, and it's not fair to the team. They're not committing to him because they know what he is. What he is is what not he is starting quarterback yeah. for a championship team. Philadelphia got Maybe it not. right. I thought I was, I, I was critical of Philadelphia last year. You were I was critical of myself, yeah, because I said, look. Hey, used to Carson's cape up for problem, Carson. but they, I did. And there are some other problems uh, throughout the uh, organization. 
And I even said, hey, you know, there's some teams out there who need quarterbacks. You could do worse than Carson Wentz. Not much worse. You could do well, worse. My, well, but, but okay, now but we roll worse. reverse. Now we roll reverse, Mike, because I don't know if that's entirely fair to Carson. And, you know, I'm, I'm nothing if not fair. They got their ass kicked as a team. Okay, it's, Carson Wentz is low-hanging fruit. Carson Wentz already had a bad, target though. on him. He Carson, was bad. No, he was. He was. He was. He was bad the week and before. They, and the week before, he was hey, bad. There's, yes, they lost to two teams with interim coaches. There's a handful of quarterbacks who can elevate above their circumstances. Carson Wentz just ain't one of them. The circumstances failed, offensively and defensively, and special teams for that matter, in that finale. So now you cape it up for him. I know, right? The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.